Welcome to the 114th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 13th, 2019. 2019, it's the future. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics.com. Corey, sir, how are you? Brad, I am... I don't know if you can tell by how hoarse my voice is, but I have been sick for the past, like, four days, and it is incredibly uncool. Oh, my God. So, uh, like, like, are we talking about, like, kidney failure? Are we talking <laughs> about, like, spring fever? Like, what's going on? What kind, of, what kind of illness you got? Let's talk about it. Okay, so I don't... I don't get sick very often. The last time I can remember being sick was probably like, and I feel like it's once like every like five years or something, which maybe is like, I should be like thinking the, I don't know, medicine gods or something. But whenever I get sick, whenever I was a kid, I used to get sore throats all the time. Like I would never be the kid who would be like nausea and vomiting. Like I would always just like have a really bad sore throat. And at a certain oh, point in my too, life. Me too, dude. Me too. Yeah, it's terrible. And like I never got my tonsils taken out though. And then after like freshman year of college, I had the worst sore throat I've ever had in my life, my freshman year of college. And oh, God. literally like cried in the doctor's office like because it hurt so bad. And they were oh, like... Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was terrible. But they were like, all right, here's a steroid shot. And they just like gave it to me. And it started like clearing up that afternoon. It was magical. But I don't have a, I have a, I mean, my sore, my throat's a tiny bit sore this time, but the last couple of times I've gotten sick, um, one of which was like several years ago when I was living in my first apartment in Omaha, um, it's more of just like sinus, like it's a stuffy nose and runny nose at the same time, and it's sometimes headaches, and it's kind of exhaustion, and it's a little bit of like, like at night, I tend to get really like, like clammy and shivery and I'm either too hot and sweaty or I'm too cold and shivery. Like there's no like happy medium. And the other night, um, I think it was, it was on Thursday night. Cause on Wednesday I started feeling it, but it wasn't that bad. So I was able to like go to work on Thursday and be fine. And then on Thursday night, I was just like sitting in my computer. I think I was just editing photos like usual. And I was just like shivering a lot. And I was like, man, I think I'm like really actually sick. Like this isn't just like a minor inconvenience anymore. I'm like all in on the sickness business. And I took, we have like a pretty old thermometer like buried in one of the cabinets in our bathroom. So I took it out and sure enough, I was running like a 99.7 degree temperature. And I had taken, I took my temperature over the course of like probably an hour, maybe like a few times over an hour. And it peaked at like 100.7 and the lowest was like 99.4. So I was like, awesome, I'm cold and I'm shivery and I have a fever and I feel gross and my nose is stuffy and my nose is runny at the same time. I don't understand how the human body works. So I emailed my bosses at work at like midnight or like 1230 or something on Thursday night. And I was like, oh my God, you guys, I'm so sorry, but guess who got the sickness that's been going around the office? It finally landed on me, so I won't be able to come in. But the weird thing about like, working where I do now is like I you know I used to work in retail and and retail it's like unless like you have broken all four of your like limbs or you're like on <laughs> yeah. death's door like you're expected to go into work for like the shittiest pay you can imagine but it's so weird making the transition and like working in an office where like your coworkers and boss like encourage you to stay home if you're feeling under the weather like it's such a weird 
feeling because I will never not have that like retail guilt of being like, oh my God, I'm sick. If I call in, everybody's going to hate me and I'm going to hold up the work process. And you know, every it's the, all the work is going to fall through. And, and it's just weird, like kind of adjusting to that office environment where like, even if you're not like super sick, they're just like, yeah, stay home. Like, it's not a big deal. Just get better. Don't give it to the rest of the office. I just like stay home and sleep and rest up. So I stayed home from work on Friday and I've been feeling better since Friday, but I've got the usual sickness thing going on where like, whenever you first wake up in the morning, it's like extra bad. And then whenever you are going to bed, it's like extra bad. And there's like a weird equilibrium in the day where like you feel better kind of at the peak of the day. But um, although we are recording at 5 p.m. Central Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, I did just get out of bed about two hours ago and I'm still in that like groggy, like gross kind of throat scaly um, feeling of morning, quote unquote, even though I woke up in the afternoon. That sounds perfectly terrible. A couple things spring to mind. Um, I think being sick is a really good indicator of whether you have a bad job or a good job in America. Because if you have a bad job, they want you to come in when you're sick. And if you have a good job, they tell you to stay home. (laughs) There are other factors, of course. But that's a real good, really quick kind of metric that you can apply. Like if you call your boss and he's like, oh, my God, please take care of yourself. Stay home. Hang on to that job because that is a good that you have a good job. If they're like, well, you better take some fucking vitamin C and get your ass in to the register, that is a bad job. So, also, I feel for you so bad because I was Mr. Sore Throats growing up, and it was like the bane of my existence. Constant sore throats, torturous, hellish sore throats. I did have my tonsils out when I was young. Um, And actually, the surgery went bad. I uh, I went in. Yeah, I went in, and they were like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Totes easy. Can do this in my sleep. Uh, and then I went in, had the tonsils out, and what happened was one of the sutures on my left side uh, opened up before the wound was healed, mm. and so I ended up bleeding from my throat into my stomach for like oh two days. Oh, my God. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, it healed wrong, and also um, I vomited like the most blood you've ever seen come out of a human being without <laughs> being actually dead. <laughs> was, oh, my God. It was fucking a horrible horror show i was like oh my god this is the end of me and i'm like 12 and i'm dying because like (laughs) all my blood is on the floor right now so sore throats are the worst i hate sore throats uh i feel for you man you have my condolences hopefully you're feeling better and thank you very much for showing up to the podcast today uh real trooper made of iron over here folks this dude fighting through adversity to produce a podcast (laughs) for you the listening audience what a a hero man i mean i'm surviving on hot tea flavored with honey and sitting down and talking is believe it or not not an incredibly difficult thing to do so i am here for the podcast under pretty much any and all conditions unless i'm out of town or on an airplane or i don't know on my deathbed or something i am here for the show you are the man you are the man uh quick tip I find that uh, I do the tea with the honey, but I also throw in uh, lemon juice and a very generous pinch of salt. And I find that all that together really gets the throat back in shape in a hurry. Uh, maybe try that if you want to like soup up your tea a little bit. Give it some some extra like nitrous oxide boost to your tea there. <laughs> <clears throat> On Thursday night, I made, um, because of course, like any chance I can get to like excuse myself to drink alcohol, I take it. And I was like, oh, of course I could make a hot toddy because it's like a hot like tea-ish whiskey drink like this will be perfect it'll be a hot drink for me and then it'll like knock me out because it'll have alcohol in it and I didn't have lemon juice in the house because a hot toddy is basically like hot water whiskey and like lemon juice and sugar or honey um 
And I didn't, I made like a makeshift one and I just used tea. Like I made real, like an orange tea and then put whiskey in it and drank it. And it was like, okay. But last night I went grocery shopping and I bought, I think a handful of lemons uh, just for that purpose. And unfortunately I did not squeeze any lemon juice into the glass of tea I'm drinking right now, but I am prepared for the future. Okay, two more things. Um, first off, people listening to the show are like, what the fuck is going on? Why are they talking about being sick and tea? This sucks. We're here for the games <laughs> chat. This show sucks. These guys suck. I'm out. Okay, sorry, folks. Uh, we got a little off track. So what happened, um, let me just give you some, some back background here. So we did our Game of the Year show last episode, episode 113. Hope you guys all enjoyed that. We got some good feedback. Uh, we enjoyed doing that for you very much. This is our kind of like post GOTY chill out, come down, mess around show. We're going to be talking about we there will be some games discussion for sure, um, but it's not going to be structured like our usual show. I know we promised you a normal show last time. Uh, that was that would that did not pan out to we be true. To Apologies. You. We lied to you. Yeah, we lied. lied. So sorry. No. So this is the <laughs> this is the free form weird, um, just ranty, ravey, organically meandering show. So if you hate that, and I don't blame you because sometimes I hate that too. Uh, maybe don't listen to this episode because we're going to be all over the map on this one. We will be back to our normal uh, routine next episode, guaranteed. But for right now, as you can tell, we're going to just be chilling out, talking about whatever comes to mind, uh, rambling about things. And I, I have like a couple games to talk about. I'm sure Corey's got a couple games. We'll talk about TV and movies. We're obviously talking about sore throats and being sick. We're going to exchange some tea <laughs> recipes. It's going to be kind of just like a real chill, laid back episode, and we'll just see how it goes. So heads up. I should have said that earlier in the episode. Uh, apologies, you had to listen to our whole like sickness uh, installment there before we got to that. But there you go. That's what's up for the rest of the show. And now we shall roll ahead with the uh, organic chat. And getting back to the sore throat thing right away. One other recipe that I find is pretty amazing. That works. It sounds disgusting and crazy and weird, but it actually works really, really well. Is you get a bunch of actual Coca-Cola and put it into a pot. And then you get, like, a lot of fresh ginger. Like, I mean, like, a lot. Like, a ton of fresh ginger. Peel it and slice it and put it in there. And then you get, like, one or two lemons. Slice them and, like, throw the whole thing in there, like, with the rind and all that uh, on top of that. And then you boil that shit down until it gets um, reduced. Not to where it's, like, a syrup, but it's definitely thicker than Coca-Cola. And you cook it and then you just let it sit for a little bit. And then you pour some out and drink it. Guaranteed, like... Something about the lemon, ginger, and then whatever, like, harsh toxic chemicals are in the Coke. <laughs> it all comes together, and it just, like, totally stops whatever's going on in your throat. Because it burns, because the ginger is super spicy, but not in a bad way. Like, it's like a, ah, ginger's burning my throat, but I totally forgot that my throat hurts because I'm just burning from the ginger, and that's actually <laughs> preferable to having a sore throat kind of feeling, you know? So it totally, you know, it's like when someone's like, Someone's like, oh, I got a headache. And then you punch them in the, in the stomach. And they're like, oh, my stomach hurts. And then you go, well, you forgot your headache, right? Like, you feel oh better. Oh, my God. Like, that kind of a thing. It's that kind of a thing. But it works like a charm. And it definitely, something about it just really, really um, gets you on the road to recovery super quick. So give that a try. Sounds disgusting, weird, bizarre. But, man, it works like crazy. Super, super good recipe. I will take that under consideration. But I feel like I'm just too lazy to do all of that. Like... Pour the coke out, boil it, chop up ginger, chop up lemons, boil it more, pour it out, and then just to make it sting my throat. I might be too lazy for that. All right, but if you get to that point in your life where you're like, oh my God, I'd rather jump off a bridge than put up with this sore throat for even one more second, <laughs> that's when you bust out the recipe and give it a shot. Oh my God, I will I will jot that down and keep it in mind. All right, I'll remind you too. Next time you're sick, I'll remind you again. So, 
Folks, if you have any sore throat recipes, I would love to hear them. If you got any home uh, home uh, recipes, home remedies, anything like that, send those in. We love those. Um, so we're here, Corey. Thank you very much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. I'm excited to kind of just talk about nothing and bullshit and chit-chat. We've got so much to talk about. I mean, I've got TV and movies. I've got games. I'm sure you've got some interesting, exciting stuff. I mean, is there anything that you're burning you want to talk about first? Or should we, like, you want me to go first? Or what are you, what are you thinking? Um, I mean, I don't have anything I'm... I have just, like, a handful of, like, ta- I mean, I don't have anything written down, but I have, like, things that have maybe happened to me or stories I can tell recently. But I will gladly give you the floor first if you want to bring something up that's more concrete. Okay. Well, we made our audience listen through our sore throat section before we actually told them what was up. And uh, I think that to make it up to them a little bit, we should probably talk about a game right off the bat. And let's talk about one that we both want to talk about. Let's start off with one of the big guns today. Let's talk about the Resident Evil 2. What is it? The one-shot demo? Is that what it's called? The one-shot demo. And whenever you the said one big shot guns, demo. I literally like formed my hand into like pistol shapes. <laughs> my front two fingers pointing out because I'm ready to like pew 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 and talk about this pew, game. Pew. Oh my god! Pew pew. Resident yes, Evil okay. Two. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. so. Uh, Resident Evil Two One Shot demos up on PSN. I believe it's also on PC. I believe it's also on Xbox One. Does that sound correct to you? Uh, I know it's on PC for sure because I'm gonna try to game the system and play it. I played it on PS4 a couple nights ago. I'm gonna play it on PC and it's probably on Xbox and I'm gonna play it on Xbox because. I'm going to do a three-shot demo and really cheat it. Um, I also don't know. I mentioned this to Patrick earlier today. I don't know if you can play it on multiple profiles on, like, a PS4. If, like, I can play it on his profile and play it on my profile. I'm or sure, like I'm sure you can. I am sure it's per profile because, you know, none of the data carries over from between profiles. Because all, all of our PS4s have multiple profiles on them. I would be shocked if it was per console. I don't think so. You could just make like an unlimited number of profiles and just yeah. play it over and over and over again. I think you could. I think you could. <laughs> so, folks, I will let you talk first, Corey, but let me set this up here. Um, so what this is, this is a basically a time-limited 30-minute demo for the upcoming Resident Evil 2 remake. Uh, all new graphics. I'm, I'm assuming they've overhauled some other systems. Uh, but it's basically like the one that everybody's been asking for forever. And I think a lot of people would say this is probably their favorite Resident Evil of all. Uh, but Resident Evil 2, the one where you had two different scenarios, Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield going through the Raccoon City Police Department and Parts Unknown. Long time requested, long time coming, but it's finally around the corner. And you can download this. They only let you play for 30 minutes, and then apparently the thing is just shuts down and they just stop you from keeping going. Uh, we both played it. I will talk about my experience in a moment, but Corey, uh, why don't you give us real briefly, like, you know, what you thought, and then we'll kind of go back and forth and just talk our, talk ourselves through it. All right. I love this. Okay. So full disclosure, I am like 100% like honest to God expecting the Resident Evil 2 remake to just like be my 2019 game of the year. Like I, fun fact, I bought whenever the PlayStation 1 era happened, I actually bought Resident Evil 2 before I bought a PlayStation 1. The caveat here is that it was only by like one hour, but still I feel like that's sort of like a like a real testament to my, um, I don't know, like wanting to play this game or like really, because I was young at the time. And like, I think what happened was like my brother and my dad and I went to like, at like Best Buy or something and we were going to get a PlayStation 1, 
but we they did, I think they were out of stock or something, so we ended up getting a couple of games first, Resident Evil 2 being one of them, and then I think we went, I don't know, to like Sears or somewhere and ended up getting the PlayStation 1 after that, like at the next store, but... Um, that's my dedication to the Resident Evil franchise. I actually bought the game before I even owned the system. Um, and I Resident Evil 2 is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I feel like, I, I think we've probably talked a lot about Resident Evil before. And I feel like every time I try to do like a, like a, ooh, like a ranked list of my favorite Resident Evil games, I always like, I never say it the same every time. And I wouldn't say Resident Evil 2 is my favorite. I think the remake of Resident Evil 1 is probably my favorite. Maybe like closely followed by... Four, um, and then maybe two after that. But the Resident Evil 2 demo, it's basically undergoing the exact same sort of like remake remix that the Resident Evil 1 remake went under because there is such a thing as like an HD re-release or just like a straight up remake. But this is like, if you'll remember the original Resident Evil versus the Resident Evil remake, about maybe like 70% of the game was the same, but it was completely rebuilt from the ground up with new, completely new graphics, completely new mechanics, completely new engine, completely new systems. And not only did they build all of it from the ground up, but they like added new areas to the mansion and they added new enemies and they added new systems. So it wasn't just like a one for one remake. And the same thing is happening with the Resident Evil 2 demo. Like you're still in the streets of Raccoon City at the beginning, you still go to the Raccoon City Police Department, and then I'm sure you go through, I don't know, like the sewers or wherever else after that, like in the original one. But when I started, when you start the 30-minute demo, it starts you at the, as soon as you like walk in the front door of the police department, and right off the bat, things are immediately different than they were from the PlayStation 1 version, um, because like, just like the layout of the lobby is a little bit different, like the computer that you access to unlock the doors is in a different area, and it no longer unlocks the doors. Um, the door that you go through to meet the police officer who's like dying from a zombie bite, that door is locked so you can't get in there. There's like a shutter covering an area that the shutter was never even there in the first game. So it's like, it's like the perfect like chef's kiss of like just close enough to the old one for you to like remember certain areas, but also like mixed up enough for me to be like, wow, I played Resident Evil 2 like 50 times and I kind of like don't know where I am anymore, but in a good way. And they've switched the camera from, it used to be fixed camera angles. It was third person fixed cameras with tank controls, which I still stand by that as like a horror experience. But now it's very, it controls very similarly to like Resident Evil 6 or 5 or 4, where it's over the shoulder, uh, L2 to aim, R2 to shoot. You can aim and move at the same time, which was like back then was like a thing you couldn't do at all. You had to stop, aim and shoot. Now you can aim and shoot or aim and walk at the same time. They brought sub weapons back. Um, the Resident Evil remake had sub weapons where if a, if a zombie attacks you and you have a sub weapon equipped, you basically, it would be like a stun gun, like a one-time use stun gun or a one-time use grenade or something like that, or like a knife where if the zombie attacks, you could basically press a button to use the sub weapon and it would like, uh, like harm the zombie and get it off of you before it could attack you. Um, this game brings us back. I think they're limited. I don't think they're one-time use anymore, but I think they are limited uses. Like you can use them like three times or something. Um, so that's a cool thing they brought back. Um, but basically, I mean, it is just like Resident Evil 2 built, like rebuilt from the ground up. And you, in the demo, you play as Leon. Um, and you're just exploring the police station. Um, a few things that I really liked about it, not only like the fact that they sort of like remixed the areas where... You know, for, like, series of vets who know where every Gurnerba is and every 
station key is in every a ammo crate or whatever, like those are in different spots now. So it kind of like really keeps you on your toes. Like it's just familiar enough without feeling like a play-by-play -play of like a 20-year-old game. Um, but uh, I like that the zombies, they don't die after one headshot. You gener It generally takes three headshots to kill them, which I think is kind of like, it's kind of like worrisome, but it's also kind of fantastic because it's not just like, oh, you line up this one headshot and they're dead. Like you kind of have to keep going back um, even after you shoot them in the head once. And the other thing that I really like, <clears throat> this is the silliest thing that I really like about this game, is that the fact that Leon, at least in the demo, he cusses a lot. It makes me really happy because if I were in his shoes, that's exactly what I would be doing. And it's not like a scripted, like, oh, I'm in a cutscene and I'm going to say, like, bullshit. Like, it's, like, in the game, like, there's a zombie that, like, gets up off the floor and it's, like, lurking toward you and I'm, like, aiming at it. And Leon will just be, like son of a bitch out loud. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I would say in this situation. And like, I shot a zombie and he went down and like, I thought he was going to be down for the count. And I like turn around and he gets back up and zombies like, and Leon's like, oh, you bastard. And I was like, yes, that is it. Like, this is exactly the kind of dialogue I want. I don't want any like fucking like Nathan Drake making like dumb one-liners after you kill a zombie. I just want Leon to be like, fuck or son of a bitch. And like, that's exactly what he does. And it makes me incredibly happy that like, just that, like, little bit of, like, profane dialogue is in the game, but not, like, scripted in any way. It's just sort of, like, him, like, muttering curse words under his breath, like, in the severity of the situation. It makes me very happy. Um, but uh, I got to, in the demo, um, just Brad, so you'll kind of know where I got. I got up to, like, the second or third floor of the police department. I saw the liquor um, pass by a window, and I feel like I was getting to the point where I was, like, almost to the liquor, like, the first liquor encounter, because it's in a different spot than it was in the original Resident Evil 2, which is also something that keeps you on your toes. But I never actually encountered him, but I think if I had had maybe, like, three more minutes, I probably would have found him. Um, so I, I realized I just talked a lot about some stuff, but tell me about how far you got and what you thought and how it compares to the original. So just to clarify, you did not finish the demo. Oh, is it finishable? It is finishable. Oh, yes. I did not know that. I thought you just played until you, the time ran out. I no, I did not finish it then. I didn't realize it was a thing you could finish. Okay, so yeah, I did finish the demo. We got to the uh, point where the screen comes up and it just says, "This is the end of the demo. Thank you for playing. Would you like to be taken to the store to buy this game now?" So that there is an actual hard stop to that. Oh, demo. I didn't know that. I thought you just played until the thirty minutes was up. Well, I must have been taking my time then. You must have been, because I got through it in 24 minutes, and <laughs> I still had six minutes left, so I, I got through a little quick. Uh, so I guess um, I'm, I'm kind of like all over the place on this particular game. So to give a little context for me, I have historically been a Resident Evil fan. Probably not a super fan like you, but I have been a fan for sure. This was one of my favorites. I don't know that I'm going to say it is my favorite, but it is definitely one of my favorites. And back in the day, I played this game all the way through forwards and backwards did all the stuff did all the i like did literally every single thing in this game um including the hunk mode and the tofu mode too which we'll talk about in a second so i did all those things back when i was young and had the time and had more bravery in my heart than i do now um so to give you i mean it's like okay so i i i'm kind of excited because memories and because you know i, I like resident evil and that whole thing. But at the same time, I have to say, as I was going through the demo, a couple of things really kind of put me off. Um, number one, unlike you, I actually really disliked how many bullets the zombies took because I found several zombies that took five and six shots to kill. 
And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Their head is like a red pulp, and I'm running out of bullets, and there's like two more zombies around the corner, and this guy just took like six shots, and then my gun only holds like eight? I mean, come on, dude. This is like too many. I never ran out of bullets, but I got down to like three bullets one time, and I was a little bit scared because I was running out, and I realize that's probably part of the, the thrill of the game is, you know, you don't feel like you're a, a death-dealing, you know, super badass all the time, but... I felt like the zombies took too much damage. Uh, so that was like, okay, I hope they adjust that. Also, um, I, I, I was really put off by the whole, um, you can't kick a zombie or smash them when they're down. And I realized that maybe didn't come into the series until much later. I don't know when the first appearance of like curb stomping a zombie was, but I was like, dude, this zombie's totally on the ground. I knocked him down. Fucking smash his head and like just move on, like conserve ammo. But you can't do that, or at least you couldn't do it in the demo. So I was like, okay, I was starting to feel a little bit constrained by, like, the old design compared to, like, what is common for zombie games these days. And I was like, okay, this feels a little bit lacking to me. Um, kind of like an, an unrealistic constraint on my gameplay. So that was a little bit concerning. And I have to be, I have to be perfectly honest with you, dude. I realize that all of the Resident Evil fans are going to be screaming at the top of their lungs right now. But as I was going through the game, I was kind of into it, you know, just going through, shooting... It was cool that he held out the flashlight and held the gun at the same time. That was nice um, in the dark areas. Very spooky atmosphere. But, like, you come across, like, the lock that has a, uh, like, a spade on it. And I'm like, oh, dear. And then you get to, like, this, um, a, a, a jack that's in the library that you need to jack up a, uh, a shelf. And you need to find the crowbar that goes in the hole. And I'm like, oh, no. And then you get in the locker room, and there's, like, two numbers taken off the keypad. You need to find the number two and the number three button. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I just was like, this is, uh, I don't know if that I'm up for this anymore. Like, this whole key shaped like a chess piece, and you need to get three jewels. And this, I mean, I, I totally get that's what it was back in the day, and I, I, loved, I loved it back then. But I don't know that I'm really up for that anymore, man. I think I'm maybe just up for more realistic or more, um, I don't know, just less contrived maybe if it was just like a standard police station with just standard key cards or something maybe that would be a little bit more tenable but i saw this shit and i'm like i don't know like i was i was kind of my bullshit meter was kind of going off a little bit too much i mean were you just down for that was it good to see that stuff come back for you or like what did you think about that um first of all you're harshing the vibe of the show mega right now brad and second of all (laughs) mega um, mega And second of all, like I was happy that that stuff came back because, like, okay, okay, that's fair. That's I fair. mean, it's like it's what I, I mean, it's what I expected it to be. Like, I, I mean, if they had gone like a more, I don't know, streamlined route of maybe like finding key cards or something, I mean, that would have been fine too. But just the fact that they're like putting an emphasis more on puzzles again, because like you know, Resident Evil Five and Six, like, and and even Four to an extent, like, didn't really have a lot of like puzzles in them. It was mostly true, just true. like intense kind of like almost running and gunning like that kind of stuff and like seven you know which was two years ago is like kind of back to first person like back to the roots or whatever i don't really consider that game back to resident evil's roots because it's not really roots but um but i understand like you know in a survival horror sense why people would say that but i mean that brought puzzles back a little bit more um but not necessarily in the way that like resident evil 2's puzzles were where you have to like find like six different keys for you know the playstation or whatever um but, I mean, I'm glad that they're bringing it back because, like, I, I mean, it's kind of one of those, like, catch-22s because I feel like if they didn't bring the puzzles back or if they didn't bring, like, the key card systems back or whatever, there would be, like, 100 people out there that are, like, 
oh, well, like, fuck you, Capcom, because this isn't, like, true to Resident Evil 2's nature. And then if, like, they do bring them back, then people are like, well, fuck you, Capcom, because now it's not, like, the action-focused game that 4, 5, and 6 were. And so it's kind of like a, I don't know, like, maybe there's, like, a happy medium they could have, like, gotten between the two. But I'm happy they're back because it remains... um, I guess, true to the Resident Evil experience. Because, like, when they remade Resident Evil 1, it was very similar. Like, you had to find the different keys that unlocked the different doors in the mansion. And kind of, like, all that stuff was pretty well preserved for what it was. And so I was happy to see that stuff come back because I... I don't know. I just, like, kind of, I guess, like, cherish or value right, stuff right. from the original game. And I wouldn't want Resident Evil 2 Remake to just be another run-and-gun, like, ridiculous, like, Hollywood action blockbuster shooter like 6 was. So I'm glad that they're, like pacing it down in a more like intense and slow and better way that stays true to the original. I mean, I agree. And I, and just to clarify, like I totally, I think I'm just talking about like me, like I totally think that there is a value in preserving what Resident Evil 2 was. And from a certain perspective, you can look at it like as not necessarily a historical document because it's, it's, it's greatly changed from what it was, but like it kind of gives you a window into what design was like back then and what the series came from. So I think there is definitely value from that perspective. I think just like for me as a, as a person, my personal taste, like, I don't think that I, Brad Galloway, editor of GameCritics.com, will put up with that <laughs> stuff anymore. I think I just have lost my taste for it. So I, I totally see what you're saying, and I don't necessarily think that it should all be stripped out. But just, like, as I was going through it, I'm like, uh, it's like, I kind of want to play this, but I'm like, I could, I was already getting irritated with, like, how many doodads I was having to fetch. And I'm like, oh, man, if I'm getting pissed off at this during the demo, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. But at the same time... I do have a lot of really fond memories of playing through that game, and it is one of my favorite Resident Evils. Um, I do have a lot of uh, good associations with it, and I was really happy to see in that at the end of the um, I, I maybe I guess maybe you didn't see it, but after you finish the demo, there's a little trailer that plays and it shows scenes from the full game. Did you see that little trailer or no? Yeah, it still shows even if you don't finish okay. the demo. Okay. So, like, you know, they showed a brief moment of Hunk, and for people who don't know, Hunk is one of the Umbrella, I don't know, like, Special Forces dudes who, in Resident Evil 2, he gets dropped into Raccoon City. And so, like, after you clear the main game with Leon and Claire, you can, I don't know what the conditions were, but you had to do something to unlock Hunk's scenario. And his was, like, a hard mode because he had more limited weapons, more enemies, and he had, it was, like, a like a smaller area he could go through. Like, he had, like, fewer fewer zones to explore it was more like action focused kind of like a challenge mode and then if you got through that you unlocked um the tofu survivor uh where you were literally a stick of tofu with a hat (laughs) and you had a knife and all you had was the knife and that was like the uber hard scenario uh where you had to i mean you had to finish hunk's scenario in a certain amount of time and not die which was already really hard and then if you did that you would be tofu where you just i mean basically you were just like running and dodging you couldn't kill very many zombies with just the knife and so it was like super 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 hard did you i mean i was happy to see those and i'm like oh man i kind of want to play those again because i had fun with those back in the day uh did you play through those or did you have experience with those back in the day you must have right i mean i don't think i ever played through them because although i did play resident evil 2 about a hundred times over back in the day i wasn't like good enough to um to like do the hunk and tofu stuff so i can't remember if i ever unlocked them i don't think i might have unlocked hunk's scenario but not um but not tofu's but there's like no way in hell if i had tried that that i would have been able to survive the game with you know being a block of tofu just armed with a knife because i wasn't that good um but i am familiar with them but i never i don't think i ever played them oh okay cool well you should watch some videos or something just to kind of get a taste for it because it was 
fucking bonkers, dude. It was <laughs> ridiculous, and that shows like how how much I enjoyed that game and how much time I had to devote to it back then. I don't think I would be able to replicate that today, but if there was like a if you could just go straight to those scenarios, I would try it just for the shits and giggles of it. But uh, good memories anyway. So, I mean, overall, I mean, it seems cool, and I'm on the fence, honestly. Like, I kind of want to play it just because I really liked it so much back in the day, and I haven't played a Resident Evil for a while, although I do have a couple on the Switch that I could play through I haven't gotten to yet. But on the other hand, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm that same person that I used to be, so maybe... I'm thinking probably just like a Gamefly. Um, I have one more cute little story to go, but what do you... So, I mean, you're obviously going to get it. It's going to be your game of the year. You're going to play through the whole thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I haven't... um, I need to pre-order it because I haven't done that yet because it comes out in like two weeks. Um, But Is there a bonus that you get or what's the deal? um, If you... I mean, there's like three different versions of the game. I mean, surprise, every like AAA game that comes out has like 16 versions. But there's like a... I think there's like a $70 or $80 version where you get... um, I don't know, like extra weapons and costumes and shit. And I will probably get that version because the next one up from there is like $200 and it comes with like, you know, the statue and all the bullshit that I don't really need. Um, Comes with an actual corpse. (laughs) Yeah, they just ship a zombie to your house. Um, But uh, I'll probably pre-order like this. I think it's 70 bucks, the $70 version, um, which is like the deluxe edition uh, and get it. Um, whenever I, there's like highly anticipated games I want, usually I get them in like physical form. So I'll probably pre-order it. Like I've heard that if you pre-order at Best Buy, there's like a cool, like steelbook case you get with it, which is like, I realize how silly I sound saying that, but I'm the kind of person that like really goes in for that kind of stuff, especially with like Blu-ray movies and stuff. So I might pre-order at Best Buy so I can get like the cool steelbook and then get, I don't know, like the extra weapons and costumes and shit, um, that come with the deluxe edition. Nothing wrong with that, man. Whatever makes you happy. I mean, I've I've dipped in for a special edition here and there. Not not a ton of them, but you know, if a game really tickles me, I'll go in for it. And I'm definitely the guy who buys the physical version of indies that I really like. You know, indies that are originally download only, and I'll, I'll pop again for the just to have a physical on the shelf. So I I get that for sure. Um, I have a I, so I have a story myself, but I'm sure you played this what headphones in the dark all by yourself. Like, what was the environment like when you were playing this? Oh yeah, absolutely. I it was. I made sure to charge my because I have the PlayStation Gold wireless headphones that have like surround sound. I made sure to charge them before I played. I loaded up the demo. I downloaded it. It's like seven and a half gigs. I turned all the lights off. I actually pushed the coffee table closer to the TV so I could pull the couch closer to the TV. And then I put the headphones on. I turned the volume not like all the way up, but I turned the volume up um, with surround sound. I had my controller charged. Lights off, alone. Patrick was sleeping, and he, like, kind of woke up and started getting ready in the middle of the demo. But, um, yeah, full-on, you know, headphones on, all the lights out, sitting almost as close to the TV as I possibly could. The whole shebang, because that's how I... If I go in for survival horror, I go all the way in, and that's what I did this time. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Okay, I I didn't do that. (laughs) I had all the lights on in my place. I had my wife and my son both come over and sit by me. <laughs> so so my uh, my wife was sitting next to me. She had her hand on my lap and my son was sitting. He was actually pretty excited because he's, he's all about like, he wants to get into horror. He does not have the tolerance for it yet, but he wants to. And so he was like, he was all in at first and he was watching it and he had his old blanket with him. And as soon as I got in the dark hallway, he's like, uh, oh, and he no. like kind of, he kind of like started looking away a little bit. And I'm like, oh dude, is this too intense? I'll totally turn this off. And he's like, no, 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 don't stop. 
I'm like, but you look like you're scared. I'm, I don't want you to be scared. I'm not here to traumatize you. I'll, I can shut this off and we'll do something else. He's like, no, 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 watch. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. So he didn't watch it. And then once I started like getting into it with like shooting zombies and stuff, he like had the blanket over his head and he's like, I can't watch. And oh I'm like, all right, God. let me turn this off. And he's like, no, don't turn it off. And I'm like, <laughs> but all you're doing is listening to the, the sound of me shooting zombies. He's like, no, no, keep it going, keep going. So like, okay, whatever. Anyway, so that's the environment in which I played it. If I do play it, I will probably like wait until my wife comes home and we'll like turn on some background music. I'll turn on some lights and I'll, you know, whatever. Because I, I just, you know, I've said it a million times in the show. I have lost my taste for being scared when I play games, uh, but I still am kind of curious, and I guess I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. So, all right, any final thoughts on the Resident Evil Two demo? Uh, none so far, but I mean, it comes out in like two weeks. It's been a long time, long time coming. I'm very excited for it. This is not the last you'll hear about it on the show because I will buy it day one. We'll play it a lot, and then I will bring further impressions of the full game to the show whenever it comes out. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, cool. Um, all right, so let's switch it up a little bit. You said you had a couple stories that you wanted to share. You want to you toss one out? Um, I guess so. I, um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, because um, I talked about um, on the last show, no, maybe it wasn't the last show, um, I talked about going to the Wizard World Comic Con thing in New Orleans yeah. and shooting cosplay a little bit. Um, I just kind of wanted to share, like, I don't know, I guess, like, a little bit about, like, how that whole thing went down this year. Because, like, some kind of weird stuff happened. and Oh, um, no. All right. All right. I mean, I don't know. I don't really, like, have an objective with the story. It's just, like, something to talk about. And I'm not very prepared. But, so, like, I went. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, Corey, Corey, as you know, as you know. So, video games is the show that invites you to bring your own baggage. So, oh, this is exactly God. this is exactly the right time and place to talk about it. Roll on, my friend. Roll All right. on. We're, We're here up for to you. like a dollar that you owe me now. I mean, it's like that. it's like one dollar. That is correct. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> I went. So, I shoot. There's two big cosplay cons in New Orleans every year. There's MechaCon, which is at I think it's like beginning at end of June, beginning of July, or maybe it's end of July. I don't know. It, it's summer, summertime. And there's Wizard World, and Wizard World is a con that happens, like, all over the United States. It happens in, like, a bunch of major cities. It kind of just, like, goes on, like, a tour around, and um, and it comes to New Orleans every January. And a couple years ago, I met, like, the Spider-Man group that I that, that cosplays at both of them. Um, I sort of met them, and I kind of sort of, like, weaseled my way into being, like, their photographer for New Orleans stuff, which is awesome, because I like all of them. But I also feel kind of weird about it, because, like... I don't know. I just like kind of hung out. Like, there's like my general like the thing I do in life is it's like, oh, if there's something that I think is cool, I'll just place myself close to it until that entity thinks I'm cool enough to like be there with it. And then like that's kind of what happened. <laughs> so like, you know, I was taking pictures and just kind of hanging out and like meeting them. And then at a certain point, it just kind of like became expected that I would like be there to shoot them. And so, um, well, things went like a step further at Wizard World because, uh, we were out and like, and it was always like, it was all like a business for the past. Like I, it was never like a, Oh, come hang out with us. Come to these parties with us. Like blah, blah. It was just like, yeah, you show up, you shoot us, we hang out. It's all good. And then, you know, I give them their photos later, but this time I sort of like crossed that barrier into like hanging out with them outside of the con, which I mean, it's kind of like whenever it feels so weird saying this cause I'm like a 30 year old man and I'm going to sound like, like a 15 year old, but it's one of those things where it's like, <clears throat> 
you know, you finally get like the cool kids to like invite you to do something. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I get to like go do fun things because at, during the con, um, one of the guys who's in the team was like, hey, um, like, you know, uh, like if you want to come back to the hotel with us after, like, I think we're going to go out tonight because there's like a party um, at a local club that was real kind of like sponsors in a way. And he was like, yeah, you can come back to the hotel with us and like go out with us tonight if you want. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like, sure. I don't have anything else to do. So this is great. And the weird thing, I think the thing that I want to talk about is like, this is going to be kind of like a, a left turn, but I will integrate all this together. Is like the theme at large um, is sort of like, the way, for lack of a better term, the way, like, straight or straight-seeming men treat gay men, and also the way, like, there's sometimes a weird, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but every once in a while, there's, like, I'll meet a guy who I suspect is straight or whatever, and he'll, like, treat me in just, like, a slight different way that makes me think that maybe he's, like, not entirely straight, or maybe he's like interested in experimenting. Have I ever talked about this on the show before that you remember? Um, I don't think so. I mean, are you describing someone who's like, you know, like hetero flexible or potentially bi curious or something like that? I mean, I guess like it's even still like a mystery to me, and I'm the one like living it, so I don't really know what that says. But whenever I was at the con, there was like a guy in the group who. I mean, he wasn't, like, outright, like, flirting with me or anything, but he was just, like, treating me, like, slightly different than, like, other, like, guys would. And he, like, whenever I got there and we were talking, like, the first time I met up with them at their booth, he was just, like, really being, like, really, like, complimentary of my photography, but in, like, a really, like, direct way. And, like, that's all well and good, but, like, I also, like, I don't really... I know I get uncomfortable whenever people like compliment me. Like I'm one of those people who like doesn't take a compliment very well. And so, but he like just like said things in a way that was just, I don't know, like slightly just like different, I guess. And like he was being kind of like physically affectionate. Like he would like put his arm around me every once in a while or he would like, I don't just, my, my hair is really, really short right now. It's like a centimeter long. And he would just like rub my hair on my head a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is like, first of all, this is like really nice. But second of all, like, it's kind of like a weird, like, like not, like one out of every like 200 guys I meet would probably do something like this. So it's just like a weird, like, what's going on here? Like, is he just being nice or is he being like something more? And it's like the, the realm of like, I don't know, gray area between like interpersonal relations or something. And like, we got back to the hotel later and like, they were all drinking and like, I was drinking a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a you know, like a ridiculous, you know, everybody was like drunk fest or whatever. And, um, and like the guy who was being kind of affectionate toward me, like, I don't know, was just making like weird, like kind of like gayish, like hand job jokes and stuff. And like, I understand that there's like this culture of like straight guy masculinity where like they like act gay, but they're not. I mean, like all of the, straight guys that I knew who would hang around in groups like in high school, like they all like acted gay all the time. Like they would like grab each other's asses and like, you know, just like make like gay comments. And like me, the actual gay person in the room would like never act like that because it's like, it's like socially acceptable for like straight guys to like fool around in like a gay way with their straight friends. But it's like not socially acceptable to actually like be gay and like to like show those feelings toward other people it's like this weird way that society works and so I couldn't figure out if like they were like just sort of it's just weird to be like included in that when it's like you have like straight guy friends who are like kind of like gay joking around with each other 
And then they suddenly like pull you into it, like knowing that you're a gay man. Like I just don't really know what like like what to do in those scenarios. And so like I kind of mistook this whole situation for like one of the guys being like maybe I thought he was like bi curious or like whatever. And so, you know, like we went out to to like um that like this club and of course I got like really drunk at the club, so this is like not gonna help the scenario at all. And at a certain point, I, I went up to him at, at the club, you know, and, like, I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I like you. Like, I'm not, like, in love with you, but, like, I like you. You know, I think you're a good guy. And, um, you know, and, like, I'm just – I don't remember what I said. I probably just told him I was, like, very confused about, like, what was going on. And, like, he was like, oh, well, I just want you to know that I'm, like, not gay. And I was like, okay, like, that's fine, but that's, like, kind of, like, not really the point here. And so he was, like, telling me about how he had, like, tried stuff with guys, like, a guy before, and it just, like, didn't work for him. And so, like, I just, like, don't understand this whole, like, like straight guy attitude of, like, okay, we can, like, act gay all the time around our straight friends. And then, like, I feel like the idiot here because I'm, like, well, should I have known better? Like, should I have known that, like, he wasn't, like, actually gay? I don't know. I just feel like... I don't know. It's just this big, weird, like, mixed message scenario. And I feel like I sort of, like, inadvertently, like, cock-blocked him with this, like, girl that he was trying to get with that night because, like, I thought that he was, like, sending me signals all night and, like, I don't know if, like, the girl was interested in him. And it was just, like, this weird scenario. And I guess, like, long story short, like, I don't want straight men who are fooling around, like, in a gay way to include me in their, like, weird like gay banter anymore because it just makes me uncomfortable and it makes me think that they're like into that and they're not and they're sort of like using it as a joke but it's like lighthearted enough to where they're not like being homophobic but it just like it pulls me into this weird whirlwind of like I suddenly like don't know what to expect anymore and I don't know if they're like using that humor as like a shield or if they're using it as like a really shallow invite to like be like act on their curiosity I don't know, Brad. It was just a weird... Like, I had a good time over the weekend, but it was just those scenarios were very strange to me. And, like, I've been in them before, and I just, like, never know how to navigate them. And every time I'm, I think I'm doing the right thing, I always end up, like, doing the wrong thing. And then I feel like an idiot after, and I have to, like, apologize to people, even though, like, they're the ones who are exhibiting the behavior in the first place that sort of, like, led me to walk down that path. So it's just... It's a weird scenario, and I feel like straight dudes need to just get it together and not act weird anymore. Hmm. So, as the straight guy of the podcast, <laughs> I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for other straight guys. And, you know, everybody's different, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not speaking for every straight guy, because actually a lot of straight guys are dipshits. Um, but, I mean, so, okay, so I know tons of gay people. I have a million gay people in my life. Uh, a lot of, I the LGBT factor and Q factor in my life is pretty high. I live in Seattle. The job that I work in has a very high percentage of people who are uh, not heteronormative. Uh, so you either got to sink or swim, and I swim. I can get along with those people <laughs> just fine. I love those people. They make my life better. I love the diversity it's all good. It's all good. But speaking for myself, I, I understand what you're saying. That makes sense to me because when I was in high school or, you know, around that time, I very clearly remember people who were like, you know, like, like, like straight guys who would like grab each other's asses and do weird shit. And I'm like, well, that's like, number one, just inappropriate in general. Like you're touching people who you maybe they don't want to be touched or whatever. 
but also kind of like like you were saying like it's like it's super mixed message where it's like it's a totally straight guy thing to grab another guy's ass and squeeze it like that doesn't seem to be very high on the straight guy scale to me uh, so what is it that you're actually doing so i understand what you're saying about those mixed messages i've seen them and i know what you're saying uh, but I mean, for me personally, what I tend to do is I tend to be very clear about respecting people's boundaries. Like I don't touch people that don't want to be touched. I don't do any kind of like any kind of banter that might remotely be construed as like flirting or anything like that. Uh, whether it's with a man or a woman or anything like I'm, I try to be really respectful of people's boundaries and just to, to, to be very clear, like, Hey, I might be friendly, but I'm a safe person and I'm not trying to come on to you and I, I'm not giving you a mixed message because I have no interest in you and we're just friends or we're work friends or something. And so I, I try to be very conscious of that. Um, so it sucks. I, I hear what you're saying totally. And it sucks that you're put in that position because I think that people in general should be way more cautious about what they're doing, especially if they know that you are a, a gay person and that you may be reading those signals differently, or maybe you don't know what your position in that particular social group is. If it's if it's not a group of people that you have like a lot of familiarity with, I mean, it seems like you've been maybe photographing them for a while, but this was your first time of just like hanging out with them, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So like, you don't know what the social norms within that group are. They don't know really who you are as a person and what you're comfortable with or what you're not comfortable with. I mean, it kind of sounds like like douchebaggery, but on like a slightly different <laughs> level than what it usually is. I mean. And I, I hear this from some of my um, some of my queer friends, too, where they're like, I hear this a lot from um, lesbians, actually, more often than from the gay guys, because maybe I just know a certain breed of gay guy, but they're just like, roll with it, honey, and whatever, and they just don't care. <laughs> but like, the, the lesbians that I know are really sensitive to that. And I've heard this story a couple times where they'll be friends with like uh, another girl, and they think that she's straight. But then they'll go to a club or something, and then that girl will, like, want to make out for a little bit. And then they're like, what the fuck is going on? Are you actually... <laughs> what what does this mean? And then they get wrapped up in it. And then once everybody sobers up, they're like, oh, no, we were just dancing. That didn't mean anything. And then the queer person ends up feeling super confused, and they don't know what to do. And maybe their feelings get hurt. Maybe they feel like they're being let on a little bit. And it's just really just murky. And I, I've heard this many times. So I definitely feel for you, man. And then all I can say is, like, I mean, number one, to all the straight people listening don't do that like don't don't put out these weird mixed messages i mean if you are if it's like if it's like this kind of like passive aggressive like maybe i would like to get down with a guy but i don't want to seem like i'm gay so maybe I'm gonna put out these feelers and maybe someone will take me up on it just be brave you know like if you want to give that a shot like tell somebody straight up and tell them what you want and then maybe if they reciprocate then good you're off to the races and if not then back the fuck off but don't be weird you know like don't weird people out and don't play with people's emotions and don't toy with them which i think is a really shitty way to behave so i wish i wish every straight person in the world could hear me say that and i wish they would listen and follow but yeah i i hear what you're saying man it's kind of yeah unfortunate the takeaways here are things are murky and don't be weird <laughs> things are murky don't be weird and if you're a guy and you want to go suck some dick just be straight about it just just <laughs> be be forthright just say it and then you know i mean honestly that kind of like i think most problems in the world would be solved if people could just honestly ask for what they wanted without being fear of being ostracized or judged, you know, maybe it was, maybe that guy was trying to see if you would be down for a little extracurricular activity, but he was too scared to ask for it. You know, maybe if he was brave and wasn't afraid of being judged for wanting to be gay or something, maybe that would have worked out and it would have been fine. And he could have had this 
positive experience and it could have been positive for everybody and he would be more happy as a person because he got this thing that he felt like he wanted to do but we're also scared of like being judged you know like i mean i mean like for example to give you like a straight guy example um you know like i totally love like bigger women like plus size women women who have curves like that's i'm all about it dude like 100 percent, always have been and when i was in high school i was oh my god like I was the butt of everyone's jokes. Like no one could let it go. Every time guys got together, which I tried to avoid because they were assholes. But whenever we got together, it was always like, oh yeah, Brad likes the fat girls. He's a, you know, fat chaser and blah, blah, blah. I mean, who fucking cares? You know, like, it's like, I was not shy about it and it was what I wanted. And I feel like in general, I'm a pretty happy, healthy person because I ended up in a place where I'm happy to be. I'm having the kind of sex that I want to have. I'm, with a woman that I find to be really attractive and it's all good. Like I was able to ask for what I wanted and I got to where I wanted to be and that's great. But, but a lot of people were not okay with me doing that. And I think that, you know, me saying, Oh, I like bigger girls is definitely not on the same level as if it was like high school, me saying, Oh, I really want to get with guys. Like that would have been, I would have had to change schools or something like it would have been un, un intolerable, you know? So it's really unfortunate that as a society, we can't just let people be what they want to be because I think everybody would be happier. Like you wouldn't be so pent up and you wouldn't be sad and nobody would have to be teased about it if it was okay to just ask for like whatever you wanted and it'd be the kind of person that you wanted. So I do kind of wonder if that guy was maybe testing the waters with you a little bit and was too shy or, you know, I don't know, especially if he, if he confessed that, oh, I tried something with guys before and it didn't work out. Well, if that's the case, then why are you persisting in this behavior, sir? I do kind of call bullshit on what you're doing. I think he was fishing. Um, but yeah, in general and in a larger sense, it's too bad that as a society, we don't let people be who they want to be. I think we're making small steps, but, um, we're not, we're totally not there yet. Not there yet. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I didn't really have like, I don't know, I guess like I didn't really have any of that story like planned out. I just kind of wanted to talk about my experiences a little bit and, uh, those are, some of them from, um, yeah, from Wizard World this year and doing photos. and But all that aside, I'm really pleased with all the work I did at Wizard World so far this year. So um, You had some really nice Spider-Man pictures that came out of that. I, I've been seeing some of them on Twitter and also on your Instagram. There's a couple of those that look pretty badass that are really good. You got some really <laughs> choice ones, like especially the ones where Spider-Man is like in the middle of a jump or kind of like suspended in air or something. Some of those came out real good. You should be proud of those. Well, thank you. I bought um, a, so like as I get older, I'm kind of getting more photography equipment and I got a, an off, well, they call it a speed light, which is basically just like a fancy schmancy term for a flash. And I got an off camera flash for my camera and a couple of like, you have to buy these like wireless things to kind of like make it connect with your camera. You can use it on your camera or you can put it on a tripod or something. And I actually like last minute was like, oh, maybe I should, cause I'd been meaning to get one for a long time, but like I have a Nikon camera and the like first party one that Nikon makes is like $300 or something. And there's like not a chance in hell that I'm going to spend that much on a speed light, but there are cheaper ones out there. And I bought sort of like an off brand, like cheap one and um, got it delivered. It came in the mail like the day Wizard World started last week. So I took it to the con and um, I'd never used a speed light before, but luckily I was kind of able to like, learn on the fly and that's how i got those spider-man pictures like the jumping ones because you have to like the flash has to be there in order to catch the the action as it's happening because the lighting was really terrible and in the con and so uh i'm like really pleased that i was able to 
uh, I don't know, use like a new kind of photography equipment that I've never used before and able to like actually get good results from it and not like weird experimental, like it looks like I was trying, but maybe wasn't very good results. But uh, yeah, thank goodness for off-brand speed lights and my ability to adapt and learn on the fly, I guess. Corey Motley powering up. <laughs> Plus one photo skills. <laughs> I suppose. Pretty soon yeah. you're going to be able to equip that new uh, that new gear, get like a new helmet and stuff. You'll be all set. Going to be like the next <laughs> level photographer. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right, dude. Uh, let's bring it back to games for a minute here. I, uh, I played a couple of things that are actually pre-release and both of them are okay to talk about in a preview sense. So let me bore you for a few minutes with a couple of games that are coming up here. <laughs> Um, the first one is called Genesis Alpha 1. I'm sure you haven't heard of it. I'm also sure that among the long list of ridiculously titled games you brought to the show, this one is going to be on it. I'm sure. Well, I don't know how much more I'm going to talk about it. This may be the one and only time, but let's oh, mark no. it down in that category. Let's mark it down. Uh, so this this came out. It's not out yet. It's coming out very soon. I think it's coming out at the end of January. I saw it at PAX. I thought it was pretty unremarkable. I kind of crossed it off my list, but the PR person was pretty excited to talk about it. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about it. Saw the video and I'm like, okay, maybe this is just a game that doesn't demo well. So that's cool. Let's check it out. We do have someone covering it for us at Game Critics. There will be an official full review. I am not reviewing it. I'm just playing it to talk about it here on the show. Basically, the gist is humanity has fucked Earth up and now they need to go colonize some other planet you get to build your own ship and there are different compartments. There's like a bridge, there's like crew quarters, there's, uh, you know, a, a, a hangar for little shuttles. There's all sorts of little pieces that you can assemble on your ship. They all take materials, of course, and energy. And you got to like part of the game is just figuring out how to configure your ship and you can add more things as you go because the other part of the, of the game is gathering resources in space. So once you construct your basic ship, which does not have everything you need on it. You head out into space. You've got like a couple people on board. Uh, you can clone more people and you can find resources in space uh, two ways. You can either send a shuttle down to a nearby planet and then collect that stuff in a first person shooter mode where you are gathering materials but also shooting any aliens that are on the planet. Or you can use your Star Trek style tractor beam to bring in space junk and process those materials. So basically it's like Try to go on a long run from Earth to whatever planet you can colonize. Along the way, build up your ship, keep adding to your ship different features to it, and clone new crew members as needed. So that sounds okay. It's kind of got a roguelike flavor to it. And to be perfectly honest with you, I am not sure that there's even a campaign. It may end up being one of those games that you just kind of play for as long as you can play until you die and then start over. Kind of like a roguelike feel to it. I'm a little bit hazy on if there's actually like a, f a true campaign or not. So, so far it seems okay. And one thing that really stands out to me about it is it is hardcore 70s sci-fi style, which is just slapping me in the face over and over with how 70s it is. And it's really strange because I don't like the 70s aesthetic at all. I think it's really ugly and gross. Um, is very distinct. If you're not familiar with it, I mean, maybe go look at some VHS movie boxes from the 70s and look at the different cover art for those. A lot of reds, a lot of oranges, a lot of um, really simplified technology, a lot of just stark lines. Like, it's just, it's, 
it's got a very distinct look to it and I, I just don't care for it at all. Um, but that's fine. Like I'm able to get past that. It's not really ruining my enjoyment of the game. Uh, but the problem, the problem is I think these developers kind of don't understand what would make the game fun. And I think they've kind of missed the boat a little bit. Uh, any questions so far before I keep going? Cause I'm about to get to the bad part. Uh, no, you can keep going. Okay. Okay. Let me get to the bad part. So what happens is this is all fine so far. Like this is kind of like a weird kind of a roguelike. I'm kind of down with it. I like making ships, collecting resources. That's totally fine. The problem is that they wanted to really put in a lot of first person combat. And I just don't think it's a good fit or at least not as much as they put in. Because what happens is when you bring in space junk with your tractor beam, or when you collect resources from a planet, when you get back to your ship, like almost every single time, some kind of space parasite comes along with you. So like it either sticks to your ship and it gets inside your ship once you dock with your main ship or in the tractor beam, there are just like, I guess just bugs floating in space. They get sucked in your tractor beam. And in your ship, there is like, okay, so imagine a room, you're in a room, but beneath the floor of your room is like a little like service vent or something. So there's like a second subfloor underneath all of the floors in your entire ship. So what happens is when you bring a bug aboard inadvertently, that bug makes a beeline for the subfloor and then you got to go and chase it. And if you don't notice it or if you don't know where it went, it immediately multiplies like a thousand fucking other bugs and they all chew on the power cables that are in the sub basement or the subfloor and then they start blowing up your ship. So really what happens is every single time you need to bring resources aboard, which is often because, as I said, the whole point of this game is to collect resources to build your ship to make it to some planet. You're bringing bug bugs aboard all the fucking time and the subfloor of your ship is infested with fucking bugs. And so you're spending all your time ducking down in the crawl spaces, shooting bugs all over the fucking place. And it is a pain in the ass. It is fucking annoying. It's not fun. You do it all the time. And if you lose any part of your ship, hopefully you don't lose the integrity of your whole ship. But I've lost a couple games because I'm just so overrun with bugs and I can't find them. And they're just, it's just boring. It's just boring to have to go into the sub basement and constantly shoot bugs all the time. It sucks. It's not fun. If it was a once in a while thing, like no problem. I would put up with it. I totally get it. But it's like basically every other resource you bring aboard has a bug on it. And you're just constantly fucking covered in space bugs. It's not fun. So I think these guys really missed like like what was going to make their game good and they suck a bunch of, like way too much combat in it and i just don't like it at all um because what ends up happening is i'm trying to keep bugs off my ship so i end up standing in front of my tractor beam with my gun ready and anytime a bug comes aboard i try to shoot it but then that's not fun the game boils down to standing in front of a tractor beam just waiting to shoot something and that's not a really fun time to spend or some fun way to spend your time it's not engaging gameplay and it's fucking annoying like i just i really can't stand it so um, I played about maybe two hours, three hours of this, and I just, it was too much. Too much with the killing of the bugs. Uh, they need to really dial it back. I don't know if it gets better later on or what happens, but I just wasn't, I was, wasn't down for it. So I'm not sure I'm going to come back to it. Any, any thoughts, Corey? Um, as you've been talking about it, I looked up like screenshots and I've been watching like trailers on my phone of it. And um, like the aesthetic of the game is like, pretty like right on for me i like the way it looks um like you were t saying it's very like kind of orange and red and green um it looks better than i thought it was going to when you were talking about it i couldn't decide if maybe this is going to be some like pixel based art game or something but it looks like i mean that's good graphics it looks like doom or something um yeah it does doom doomish <clears throat> yeah 
Um, it also looks, uh, there was like a clip in one of the trailers of one of the dudes like in the sort of like panels under the floor, like shooting off a bunch of the bug things. And it looked really scary. Like, is it scary or is it just annoying? I found it to be really annoying. I didn't think it was scary <laughs> because they're just, there's so many of them, dude. Like, it's not, it's, it's not a one-off kind of like an alien sort of a thing. It's just like, oh, there's like 42,000 bugs underneath the floor. I got to go kill them all all the fucking time and they just they come running at you and you're it's hard to tell where they're coming from and they try to do a little bit of like clever ui where they put a motion sensor on your character's wrist and so he's got like little lights on his wrist and when a bug is near you it'll light up in that direction but it's not super accurate and i guess they were trying to go for that whole like alien motion detector thing it didn't quite work out that same way and it's also hard to tell how much life you have i believe it's also another separate readout on your wrist as well. And it's hard to see in the middle of a battle. It's just, I, I just, it's really irritating. I don't think it's scary. I think it's really irritating. Um, it's just kind of too much. So uh, I, yeah, kind of disappointed and I'm not sure that I'm in for more bug killing because that's not really what I thought the game was going to be about, but that's in practice. It's where you spend most of your time, which is kind of dull. Hmm, that is too bad. Yeah. I may give it one more shot just to see if anything changes or, I, I don't know. It's probably not going to change, but I'll give it one more shot and we'll see. So uh, I got one other preview game to talk about really quickly. Also in a preview sense, it is called Vane, V-A-N-E, coming out, I believe, on January 15th or just in a couple of days. Have you heard of this one, Corey? I don't think so. No one has heard of this game. I hadn't heard about it until PR sent me code for it. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. Zero buzz for it. I don't know about where these guys are from. Anything about it. But I saw the trailer and I'm like, okay, this looks kind of cool. But I'm having I'm having struggles. So in a preview sense, I don't know much about the game other than the fact that somehow you are like a bird or you're a character that can be a bird or something. What happens is you start the game where there's like a character who it looks like they're carrying a baby. Maybe it's an egg. I don't quite know. It's kind of vague. Running, running, running through this like storm. You're looking for shelter. You can't find shelter. And then you get swept away by the storm. Okay, I don't know what that's about, but okay, I'm sure that'll be important later. No big deal. You start the game, and you're a crow or a raven or something like that. And they don't tell you anything. They don't show you anything. There's no UI. It's nothing. It's just like you're just a crow standing on a, I don't know, like a cliff or something. And so you push the button, you start flying, and you just fly. And you're just looking around, and I'm like, okay, I'm in a desert. There's rocks. Everything's kind of brown and yellow. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, there's no tutorial. I'm just kind of flying. And then after a while, you find a thing, which is like a, like a wind sock, uh, you know, wind sock, which is like a thing that tells you which direction the wind is blowing. So I'm like, okay, well, this is obviously something I'm supposed to pay attention to. I start following the wind sock. It tells me to go a certain direction. Okay, fine. Follow that. Flying, flying, flying. Not like nothing going on. Like I'm just flying. Like there's just, you're flying in a desert. That's all it is. You get to the next wind sock. It's pointing in a different direction. So I'm like, okay, well, clearly they're trying to lead me somewhere. That's fine. Fly again where it leads me and I get to this giant weather vane and since the game is called vane I'm thinking okay well this must be important gigantic yeah. weather vane in the middle of the desert uh, I land on it and like the little cutscene plays and it shows the weather vane kind of tilting to the side a little bit and that's it and I'm like well okay so I nudged it with the weight of my bird but like nothing really happened and so I'm like, maybe I'm missing something. And I start flying around the weather vane and I'm like, is, is there, a, I don't know, like a, like a land on something? Is there something I'm missing? What's going on? I, I don't know. I don't see anything there. 
Uh, so I don't know what it's telling me to do. I don't know where it's telling me to go. It's just, it just tilted. That's all that happened. So I start flying around desert, 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 more rocks, more sand, more cliffs. Uh, don't find anything. I find a cave that I fly into. Nothing in there. Just a cave. Uh, go back to the weather vane. I try to fly into it. I try to land on it. I try to circle it. Nothing. And then I just, I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. So then I just turned it off. Aww. So not an auspicious start to a game like that. Uh, I got an email the next day from PR saying, hey, we realize there's a couple more bugs in the game than we expected. Please hang tight. We're going to be patching those ASAP. So maybe maybe something was supposed to happen when I got to the weather vane. Maybe it didn't trigger. Uh, I don't know. But man, not a good start. I don't know. I'm like, man, I'm not going to spend an hour just flying around a desert doing nothing because that's pretty much what an actual crow does. And that doesn't make for a good game. So uh, I don't know. I, that's all I got to say. That's all. As far as I got, I got nothing else to say about it. And I, it's a really poor start to a game. So maybe there's more. Maybe there's cool stuff coming. Maybe maybe I should try it again when it gets patched. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was, that, that's vain. Uh, that's all I got to say about it, I guess. It, according to some light um, research while you were discussing it, it looks like the game is being headed up by two people that worked on Eco. So it kind of has that Ueda art style going on in it. Um, it yeah, it looks like to yeah. me. It um, does. It's got come the same shades, the same kind of roughness to the, the design. Yeah, there's a little bit of shades of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it looks like this could be potentially something that's up my alley, but I'm not positive about that. I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm <laughs> sure there's more to the game than being a crow flying around in an empty desert. Um, I've got to assume it's bugged because I... I just, I know how to play games. I've played a lot of games, dude. I know my way around games, and this seemed like something that just wasn't happening correctly. So I'll play it again once it's been patched. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a day one patch or what, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm curious still, but ugh, not a good start. Not a good start at all. Mm. Anyway, those are my two previews, preview, preview sense. Um, all right, back to you, man. What other, what else you got up your sleeve? What, what's going on? Um... Patrick and I recently welcomed a new addition to our family, and by that, I mean we bought a second monitor for our PC. <laughs> <laughs> Had me holding my breath there for a moment. I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> uh, yes, the best child I could ever ask for, a second monitor on the PC. Um, I don't really have anything super great to say about this other than I'm a fucking lazy ass and it's great because now I can edit photos on one monitor and I can like watch a movie on the other monitor, which is such like it's solving a first world problem that shouldn't even have to exist in the first place. But the realm of two monitorsville is pretty wild. Um, but uh, I haven't tried it for like gaming. I don't know if I would want to play a game over two monitors because I've seen people do like the three monitor setup where they have like the one centered and the two on the sides. I feel like that would be overkill. Um, but we have a second monitor now. It's not really much of a story, but it is an <laughs> upgrade to our habitat, if you will. Well, you know, uh, my wife, uh, Gina, she does a lot of like spreadsheets and paperwork on computers and stuff. And so she has dual monitors also. And she also thought it was going to be kind of like bourgeois overkill. But once she started doing it, she's like, oh, it's really awesome because I can have a spreadsheet on one side and I can see the thing I'm working on the other and I don't have to close tabs all the time. She's like, I mean, she swears by it now. She's like, oh, I want all my computers to have two monitors now. So from a 
from a business and productivity perspective, <laughs> she says it's really good. And it sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing. Like, you know, you got your something to keep you busy while you're doing photos. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, for a work perspective, it's definitely good. Because like in my office at work, I have a laptop I use for work, but I have a like a monitor monitor too. So I have like my laptop monitor, then like a real monitor off to the side. And that is invaluable in the workspace. So I can agree with that for her because I have like my incident reports on one screen and then I have like the case that I'm opening on a web browser on my other screen or I'll have like a spreadsheet on one screen and then like the data on one screen and I can just like input it from one to the other. Um, at home, it's not <clears throat> as practical because it's just like, oh, what do I want to watch a YouTube video while I'm editing this photo. Like, <laughs> it's not like you can like edit a photo across two screens or something, but it is just like <laughs> nice to have, I guess. It makes me feel like, I don't know, kind of like upscale or something. So fancy, so fancy. I know. All right, what else? I mean, that was a pretty short anecdote. What else you got? You must have some more stuff. Um, you seen I anything? Have, any movies or anything? Any TV? Anything? I have not. I've been... Um, last night, I was building a Gundam model kit, and I watched the movie Annihilation with Natalie Portman for the second time, but I know I've already talked about it on the show before, so it's not really worth bringing it up. Um, I did, however, photograph a pretty like pro parkour athlete the other day in town. Um, there's a guy, his name is Nate Weston, and he's from Seattle, and he kind of trains in the Seattle and like Montana areas. Um, and he is in town filming, because I think I've said this on the show like a million times, but there's a lot of like TV shows and movies that film in and around New Orleans. And obviously the show NCIS New Orleans, believe it or not, it films in New Orleans. And they have a lot of like, you know, like chase sequences and stuff. So there's a lot of um, stunt guys who will kind of come in and out of New Orleans and do... Um, you know, do like chase like a five day shoot for like a chase scene on a TV show or something like that. And there's a pretty big overlap in the stunt community and the parkour community. And uh, there's a so there's a guy in town who's pretty famous. And I got to I mean, I say pretty famous, but he's like in the parkour community. He's pretty famous, but like I wouldn't expect anybody to know who he was otherwise. Um, but I guess he booked a job with a guy who I'd met before, whose name is Troy. Um, in town for NCIS, so they're going to be working all this week, but we went out and trained yesterday, um, and it was nice not only just to, like, photograph. Uh, there was, like, a lot of good things going on. Like, first of all, it was nice to get out of the house because I've kind of been in that, like, sick, like, cooped up, haven't been going out, just kind of, like, sitting on the couch, like, you know, with a hoodie on and drinking cough medicine and hot tea, so just, like, getting out of the house at all felt, like, good and healthy for me, and... The other good news is that it was cloudy yesterday and cloudy skies are the best for photography because the clouds diffuse the light really well and really evenly. And it was cloudy yesterday, so I got like really good photographs. And there's like nothing worse, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's worse, but there's nothing worse than like a pro coming to town and you take like bad pictures of them. Because it's happened before where like pretty like high profile parkour athletes will come to town, but they'll only go to like the parkour gym to train. And like the lighting in the gym is awful and I always get bad pictures and just like, doesn't work very well, but I feel really good about the pictures I got of Nate yesterday, and I have a lot to edit. And his friend Troy, who was in town as well, um, I kind of, like, hit him up. Because whenever, like, high-profile people come to town, I always, like, you know, I don't... I'm never one to really, like, put myself out there, but I'll always, like, mention to them, like, oh, just so you know, like, I have home studio space if you need, like, acting headshots or whatever. Like, just hit me up. Like, we can shoot. And... Troy was, like, super on fire about it. So, like, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, hold my breath because the last time he was in town, like, I was telling him about places we could train in town, and he was, like, super on fire then and then didn't get in touch with me the rest of the weekend. So 
like there's that, but he's going to be here for like all week. So fingers crossed, maybe I can, um, I don't know, photograph some more stunt guys. That somehow has become like my like odd, like tertiary job is doing like headshots for stunt people. So um, maybe I'll be able to photograph Troy again this week in the studio because I haven't done a studio shoot in a while and I get like kind of like antsy when I don't shoot like a certain thing for a certain amount of time and I really value like the studio work I do. So maybe that'll happen soon and I will be able to produce some more good work. You should um, advertise yourself as doing headshots because, um, you know, there's a lot of films that get that shot down there and I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to be extras or want to break into films when someone comes to town. I, I It's funny you mentioned that because I actually met a couple people who their only job is doing headshots. Um, I met them through working at the theater up here and like they were like flying into town to do headshots and they were like, I mean, kind of big balling, dude. Like they were, I mean, like it's, it seems like a headshot is no big deal, but like they paid the theater paid to have these people come in to take these couple of shots. And they were, you know, partying up the rest of the time they were here and everything. I mean, it seemed like a pretty cool gig. I mean, maybe you should like, maybe put that as like your secondary, Hey, Corey Motley professional headshots and see <laughs> what kind of uh, clientele you bring in. Yeah. I really think I should just advertise myself more like period in a general sense, because I don't really like advertise myself as a working photographer that much, but I mean, yeah, headshots, they do seem, like, really trivial, but, I mean, like, anybody who does any kind of, even, like, for businesses, I mean, like, everybody that works at the university I work for, they have, like, a woman who comes in and does headshots, like, once a semester, and basically, if you don't have a picture on, like, the staff listing page, you, like, all line up, and you go do your headshot real quick, and then you leave, and, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that seems a little, like, kind of, like, th there's a part of me that's scared of that, because it seems really, like... I don't know, kind of like monotonous and like kind of like corporate, if you will, because I want to, I'm sort of in this weird space where like, I want to like live my photography life on my own terms. And, you know, like I only want to photograph people that I want to photograph, but I realize that that's not like lucrative for business in the long run. Like, obviously I'm going to have to photograph, like, I don't know, whoever will pay me and not just who I want to photograph. So, uh, but I'm also not like making a living off photography. It's just kind of something I do on the side. But if I were, you know, had a plan to make a living, I would probably put a little more effort into advertising myself in general rather than just like, you know, second-handedly mentioning it like to some people every once in a while. Well, it really depends on what you want to do, though. You know, like it kind of reminds me of when I was um, a young guy, fresh-faced and full of energy and hope <laughs> and, and light. And I was, I was considering getting into doing games writing as a gig, as a paying gig. And I'm glad I didn't because, you know, Game Critics does not pay my bills uh, at all. I have a regular day job, although it's more of a night job, but whatever. Uh, so, like, you know, it. I, I was afraid that I would be forced to do things that I didn't want to do and then it would make me, like, lose my love of gaming. And I'm glad that I chose to not pursue it as a career because as the years have gone on, I've been able to really do what I want to do because... You know, at Game Critics, you know, we're not beholden to advertisers. We can kind of set our own course. I eventually became the editor, so I get to choose the direction of the site. I only have to take on games review that I want to review, so I'm not forced to do anything. And, of course, I don't force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do either. So we run a pretty pretty mellow, pretty easygoing ship at Game Critics. But if I had gone into it as a paid thing, I would have had to take on many, many, many assignments that I honestly didn't give a shit about. Like, I would have had to do some tech writing. I would have had to play games all the way through that I just didn't like or just didn't care about. I would have to, you know, go travel to places that I didn't want to travel to. And it would have been much more of a, 
jobby job and i think that a lot of the fun and energy and enjoyment of games would have been sucked out of it so i'm glad i didn't choose that and that makes me think about you where if you want to just only photo the people that you want to photo and you want to do the gigs that you want to do i mean that sounds awesome and i think you 100 should 100 should do that but that you know it probably won't pay your bills but then again that's fine like i don't think you need to have it pay your bills unless you want it to so if you've got like a day job or some kind of situation where your bills and stuff are getting paid and you just do the photography because you love it and you enjoy it. I mean, that's totally valid too. So it really depends on like which direction you want to go, honestly. And and in, and in some cases, I think not making a living out of the thing that you enjoy is totally valid and totally fine. Yeah, I think so too. Because I'm sort of living in that space of like kind of being scared of fully committing. Because like I don't think I would ever want to be... Like, I don't think I would ever want my career to be photography unless, like, <clears throat> I mean, there's certain, because, like, parkour is the thing that I obviously am the most passionate about photographing. And there are certain groups out there, like, really well-known, like, parkour, um, kind of, like, athlete groups, if you will, um, that have, like, one photographer who works with them, like, all the time. Like, there's a, a group called Farang, and they're mostly based in... Bangkok, but all their members kind of are from everywhere. Um, like there's a guy from Australia, there's a guy from Thailand, there's a guy from Germany, um, there's a guy from Latvia, I think. And so like they're kind of like this collective and they're they're like one of the most popular, probably in like the top three most popular like brands of free running collectives in the world. And they have like their own merch lines and their own shoes and clothes, and, like all this stuff. But there's a woman um, named Emily Ibarra who works with them and she's basically just like, travels with them and just does all of their photos and all of the, like promotional stuff and takes pictures for anything they need um and like i feel like if like that were my career like that would be one thing because it wouldn't necessarily be like me kind of like doing like the freelance like hunting for jobs like day to day to day but because that's like a little more secure because i think the whole like idea of sort of like freelancing as a photographer and just being like kind of like being scared of like, oh, well, when is my next job going to be? Or, you know, how hard am I going to have to like, um, you know, market myself or, you know, just stuff like that. Like that's what kind of scares me. And I realize that photography is not like a, like a, a stable job or stable career. Like unless you work at like a photo studio and like, I don't think I would really want to do that either. Just working at some like generic photo studio. So I'm just kind of living in that gray area of like, yeah, I would like to get paid for this, but also I'm not sure if I want this to be my full-time job because I'm worried that I would end up doing a bunch of jobs I don't like or it would like suck the passion out of it or, you know, I would feel like a corporate shill for doing, you know, 100 staff members headshots in a day or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are certainly worse problems to have and I'm just thankful that I have an actual part-time job that is stable and that I have a partner who <clears throat> has a stable job who can support both of us as well. So very lucky to be able to have these problems to mull over in the first place. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And also, you know, there's nothing wrong with developing a very specific niche or a very specific clientele where maybe they do pay and maybe you are desired in that field, but only for a very specific thing and something that you actually like to do. So there's, you know, there's like a whole array of different ways you can take this. It's not just like it's my job or it's not. I mean, there's like a lot of stuff in between. Um, especially with a lot of people these days having to piece together a living from, you know, different uh, activities. It's pretty rare, I think, these days where where you can just have one job and that covers everything. I mean, it's, most of the time it's like you and your partner or maybe you have a second job or you've got something on the side or, you know, the whole hustle and gig economy bullshit going on these days. So, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of places you can carve out a niche for yourself and still have it be fun 
and enjoyable and, and still get, you know, paid some. Maybe it's not going to pay everything, but, you know, you could, you know, get a respectable sum here and there. So mm, anyway, let's... Respectable uh, let's, sum. Respectable, respectable <laughs> sum. Uh, let's turn it back to games for a second. I want to talk... Uh, I talked about two games that were not exactly lighting my world on fire. I'm going to talk about two more that are not lighting my world on fire. Oh, my God. But I, want, I thought you were going to talk about good ones now. But I do have one. I do have one. I'm going to I'm going to end strong on one that I do like. So we're going to get through the two bad ones and we'll finish with a good one. Um, Just a quick. I'm not going to say it's it's not a shout out. One hundred percent not a shout out. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, Just to mention, I played Crashlands on Switch. Have you played this? It got uh, a lot of love maybe last year as kind of an indie release on the Switch. It's also it was big on PC and I think on mobile for a while. Have You heard of it? Crashlands? I don't think I've heard of this at all. It is a, I don't know, it's, I think it's the first game from a new studio. I think it's called Butterscotch Shenanigans is the <laughs> name of their studio, which is kind of a cute name, but it also kind of tells you a lot about what you can expect from the game. Uh, it's like you play as like an alien who lands on a planet, crash lands, and he needs to get off the planet. He's got to collect some stuff. It basically just like a crafting game. Uh, I... I checked it out. I heard good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella, talk about it, and he loved it. But then, again, Carlos and I do not always agree when it comes to games. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I think we're about 50-50. So I was not sure. And this was definitely one of the 50s that we did not not connect on. You just... Everything about this game just really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, so I played it on Switch. Uh, The writing, I thought, was really annoying. It was, like, overly cutesy and just kind of obnoxious. Uh, every line tried to be a joke and just the jokes kept flopping with me. And some of them weren't even jokes. It was just like they would say something that was supposed to be cute and it just wasn't cute or they would, you know, I don't know. It's, just, it's hard to describe the the writing, but I, uh, I read a review that described this game as that annoying guy in your college class who had a ponytail and played hacky sack. And he also was like into like steampunk. And like, yeah. that's totally like what this game is. Like if you know that guy and I'm sure everybody knows that guy, that's this is the game form of that guy and i just i don't like that guy so i don't like this game very much uh i one thing it sounds really petty but like the the walking animation for your character 100 percent turned me off just like so hard he like does this kind of like weird jump skip with his arms kind of sashaying out and it just looks so cheap and dumb i just was really i can't get into it i can't get it i don't like the way he looks I don't like the way the animation is. Uh, and it's just like a straight-up crafting game where you just run around and collect stuff and just make stuff and then collect stuff and get more stuff. Really boring. I just was like, I bounced off it like almost immediately. So uh, that was like a no-go on Crashlands. I don't think this is something I would ever in a million years recommend to you. I'm sure it does not sound interesting. It does not. Okay, cool. Moving on. The other one that started good and kind of petered out for me and probably more me than the game is called the gardens between have you you might have heard of this one mm, i i've heard the name but i don't know anything about it i believe the studio is australia i think they're called the voxel agents i'm pretty sure um this is a game it's kind of like an art house game very short experience where you play as two kids like a boy and a girl they're childhood friends and they are kind of like the game starts with them. Obviously, something sad is going on. You don't know exactly what it is, but they're both looking kind of morose. And then the game starts, and you're kind of like in this dream world where they're on a little raft, and the raft travels between islands. There's like a string of islands, and each island is made up of the memories of the kids. So, like, one of the islands will be like 
oh, that day that we had um, a cassette tape player and there's like a cassette and there's like a boom box and then there's like stuff that we ate that day and the whole island is made up of like popsicles and cheese sticks and a boom box and cassettes. And then like the next uh, island will be like, oh, the day that I dropped my coat in the river and there's like a coat, a real big coat that they're like climbing on and there's like a river and there's like trees and it's like every every island they go to is like a jumble of like real world objects that are bigger or smaller and they're all stacked on top of each other and the kids are kind of like climbing over all these objects it's kind of a cool kind of a cool visual kind of a cool aesthetic i I dig it and how it works is there is a time mechanic if you hold right on the stick time moves forward the kids move forward and they climb the mountain or the island if you hold back on the stick everything unwinds and so you have to figure out what you can interact with in each island and when because sometimes you'll have to like move time forward a little bit trigger something something in the environment changes then you kind of walk backwards a little bit and then something will be different and then interact a little bit more and so you're kind of manipulating all these objects that are like memory objects in this kind of like abstract kind of dream world while also doing like a time forward time backwards kind of a maneuver um it started off really strong for me i really like the idea the the relationship between the kids is there's no dialogue or anything like it's all just visuals and like what you infer from what you see but i think the story is pretty clear uh and i just i was a neat mechanic of like rewinding and forwarding time and the islands are really cool i really like that a lot uh but i got about three quarters of the way through the game and then it game it started getting really fussy with the puzzles now to be perfectly honest with you i talked to a couple different people about this game because i was like is it me is it the game and they're like oh my god the game is so easy yawn so no big deal but i actually got stuck more than a couple times so it may be that my brain doesn't work the way that these puzzles need to be solved that's totally possible i am not the world's strongest puzzle solver i'm more of like an action gamer so a lot of people told me this game was super 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 easy no big deal they breeze through it you know done but i got stuck a couple times because you have to do certain things in a very particular order sometimes. And my brain was just not, I just wasn't picking up on it. I was just kind of getting annoyed. And I was like, I know what I need to do, but I can't quite figure out what is the correct order to do things in. And I just want to do the thing because I know what the answer is, but I can't just jump straight to the answer. And I started getting a little bit frustrated with it. So I ended up not finishing it, even though it's probably only like three hours long or something like that. But uh, I just had to, I, I got to that point where I was like, going to YouTube and just kind of being cranky when I was playing it. And I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. Like, it's not fun. The fun part when I was able to solve the puzzles is over. And now I'm just in the hard part. And I just, it, I just had one of those moments where I'm like, why am I even doing this to myself? Like, why am I even playing this? Cause I'm not enjoying myself, I'm not having fun. I'm not reviewing it. So I don't need to finish it. I just, I'm just going to stop playing. And it's, it's weird and it's hard to get to that point for me, but I did just like, you know, had to fess up, not enjoying my time, and I just moved on. So I do think it's really cool looking, and I, th- I had a pretty good time with, like, the first half or first three quarters. And, you know, like I said, full disclosure, a lot of people say this game is super easy, so maybe my brain just wasn't able to solve those puzzles. Uh, but I bowed out, and it kind of sucks because I really wanted to finish it, and I was enjoying the good parts. But, nah, I mean, life is too short, man. I just I just don't want to play something that makes me sad. So, anyway, any, any interest in that one? Uh, not particularly, but that sounds dangerously close to my experience with Gris slash Gris slash Gray that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like when you get to a point where you're just not having fun. I mean, I'm not saying I need zero challenge. I mean, sometimes a challenge can be fun. Sometimes a puzzle can be really fun. Sometimes figuring things out is fun. Sometimes 
trying to get just the right combo in a fight is fun. Or sometimes, you know, like there's, it's, it's hard to like really quantify it, but like for me, there's, there's a difference between, Oh, I didn't make it, but I'm going to try again. And I'm enjoying the process of trying again, or I, I'm not enjoying this and this is not fun and I want to move on and I can't move on. And I just, I'm wasting my time here. So yeah, I hear you, man. There was definitely a couple parts of Gris, Grease, Gray, whatever, where I kind of wanted to bow out. I did finish that one, um, but I was very close to quitting. And it's kind of the same thing here where it's like I like it, but I don't like it enough to put up with the parts that I don't like. So kind of unfortunate. And again, I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to trash it or anything. I thought it was pretty cool. I think maybe I'm just not, my brain is just not right for these kind of puzzles. But there you go. Now I want to end on a good note. I want to end on a good note. So... Dan Weisenberger uh, pointed me in the direction of Mana Spark on the Switch. Have you seen this, heard about it, anything? All I've seen is your tweet about it, but nothing else. Okay, so I didn't know anything about this. I don't even know how Dan found out about it. He's like, oh, Brad, I think this would be up your alley. Check it out. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he was right. It was totally up my alley. It is a 2D pixel-based roguelike. So you know I'm already I'm already halfway in already right there. Um and you, uh, the story is not good because I think the translation is bad. I think it comes from a team in another country. Clearly, English is probably not their strong suit. The the written stuff is not strong. But that's okay because actually playing it is really fun. Uh, it's a very standard roguelike, but these guys understand what makes a roguelike really pop. And so you take a character who has a bow and arrow, infinite arrows, and you just go through these different little small levels. Each uh, level is only like the size of a Switch screen or maybe a little bit bigger than that. And you shoot things, uh, different monsters pop up, and you collect money, and you collect these little uh, power-up spheres or whatever. And you just kind of go through it. Like, And uh, as you go through, you'll find items that will change your abilities. Like sometimes you'll shoot two arrows, sometimes you'll do way more damage, sometimes you'll shoot poison or something like that. And it all is different from run to run. Uh, you can, every time you finish a run, you go back to this little village, and anything you've collected and banked will go towards the village. So you can um, upgrade different abilities so you can change your abilities when you get back to the, the your home base you can have these little traps that you can change like for example one is a net that makes enemies run really slow when they get stuck in the net so if people are killing you because they're rushing you too much you can throw the net out and they get caught in it there's like a little bear trap that does damage uh, there's all sorts of little uh, stat alterations you can give yourself more life or you can give yourself more damage or whatever and so there's a lot of factors in the game that let you change it up to not only customize the experience, but keep each run feeling fresh, which is something that um, is really crucial to any good roguelike. I mean, that's really part of what makes those games so playable is that things change. Uh, things can be different from the last run. Sometimes you have a different weapon and that changes how you play. Sometimes you have a different stat loadout and sometimes that changes how you play. And also uh, another good quality of a quality roguelike is that you learn every time you play. So like there's a lot of little things that I pick up when I first started, I died pretty quickly, and then I figured out, okay, well, the skeleton guy, invulnerable from the front, but you can get him from the back. Or if you shoot an arrow at a boar, like a wild boar, the arrow will bounce off his tusks, but you can get him from below. Or, like, this particular guy will drop something. And so, like, once you learn more about the enemies, it kind of gives you more knowledge, and so you get a little bit further. And once you learn about how the different power-ups interact with each other, that lets you get a little further. And I feel like I've been learning... Um, a little bit more every time I play, getting a little bit further every time I play. And it's not like these guys are reinventing the roguelike. I mean, I think everything I've described is pretty much like boilerplate roguelike, but there is something very good to be said about a game that understands those elements and nails them, like like really just dead on. Like these guys understand what makes a good roguelike and they execute, they do it. 
So I think that just in and of itself really puts it ahead of the pack uh, in comparison to a lot of other roguelikes I've played recently where people try to vary from the formula, but they lose sight of what actually makes that formula good. But this one, I think, really dials it in. It's called Mana Spark on the Switch. Now, there's one thing I do want to give people caution about. Uh, there is a bug on the Switch version that messes with the camera. When you move your character around, sometimes the camera doesn't track it properly. It's a little bit annoying. Um, it's not game-breaking. It's not even a huge problem, but it's annoying. And so the developers are aware of this. I talked to them briefly. They know the camera's broken uh, on the Switch version, and they are in the middle of patching it. So give it a week or two. It should be patched. And then once the camera's fixed, uh, I would definitely recommend it as a very good, solid roguelike that knows what a roguelike does and does it well and is a really good fit for the Switch. It looks good on the screen. It plays well. I think it's a really fun time. I've been putting a little bit of time every, every night before I go to bed. Really digging it. So I think Mana Spark is good. So I wanted to end strong with something I liked. I do like Mana Spark. <laughs> good. So that was like like three or four games that were mediocre to bad and then one game that you like. Yep, that is exactly right. 20% good <laughs> on this show, 80% bad for this particular episode. Yeah, four bad, one good. But uh, yeah, so that was that was really good. Now, have you played anything yourself, Corey? I know you've been pretty busy. We talked about Resident Evil. Have you played anything uh, that you want to mention on the show? Um, I've been playing, uh, well, I haven't played it in like a week, but I've been playing um, Return of the Obra Dinn, but I actually want to save that for like our actual games games show next week. And I also just want to play it a little bit more before I bring it to the show. Um, but so I don't really know. I don't think there's anything I want to say about it right now other than it's on my radar. I played it for maybe two to three hours and that I will be talking about it in depth on the next show. Okay, excellent, excellent. We can save that for the next episode then. Um, I don't think I have any other games to talk about. I mean, I got maybe a couple of movies and TV shows, but you know, let me turn it back over to you. What else is on your agenda? We got to maybe, we should probably wrap up pretty soon here, but anything you want to squeeze in before we uh, get to the tail end of the banter show here? Um, I don't have anything, and to be frank with you, my voice is starting to become a dried husk of what it was formerly known as, so uh, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm like the voice getting, formerly known as Corey Motley. Yeah, okay. the voice formerly known as Corey Motley. My throat is feeling a little bit scratchy. Um, so I don't have anything else particularly exciting. Um, I haven't really been watching. I haven't seen any movies lately. I haven't really been watching any TV. Um, basically, I've just been, like I say on every single show ever, um, doing a lot of photography lately. I basically went to Wizard World, did photography. I've been editing those photos, and then I photographed Nate Weston and them literally just yesterday. So I have those on my plate as well. Um, and I've been sick, so I haven't really been doing anything. My life has been very, very boring lately. Um, but I guess that's what happens whenever you get sick. You just don't do a whole lot. And you sit at the computer all day, every day, and or in front of the TV all day, every day. And then that's it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. Okay, well, that sounds good. I think maybe this is a good point to end the show. Then let's get you some recovery time for that voice. <laughs> uh, and we will just go ahead and bring things to a close. Thank you very much, folks, for listening. Uh, thanks for putting up with our post-2018 kind of like hangout, screw around, banter show. Uh, we will be back to our normal format next week. That is a guarantee. Uh, but for now, uh, please remember that you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Oh, I forgot to say, um, I was supposed to talk about a topic for our high 777 um, I'm not going to talk about it now. Uh, sorry, I did not get to it it is on my radar i will talk about it next episode so please forgive me for skipping it uh i will circle back um anyway uh so video games podcast at gmail.com send us anything we love hearing from you guaranteed we will read it 
You can also post comments for us at GameCritics.com once the show goes up. We are on Twitter collectively at SoVideoGames, but you can reach us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram, and I did post a really cool salmon recipe, which I was very proud of. Uh, we can talk about that some other day on Instagram. Uh, but it's my name for both of those, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where, they, where can they find you on social media? Uh, they can also find me uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. I haven't done anything on Twitch in months, but I'm still there nonetheless. Uh, my usernames are also my first and last name with no spaces, no underscores, no nothing. It is just Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, that will uh, end this episode of So Video Games. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for uh, sticking with us for all these episodes, and thanks for uh, your feedback on the Game of the Year show. That was the last episode, in case you missed it. Uh, so that's it for now. Uh, nothing left after the closing music, but catch us next week, and we will be back to game slash banter. But for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week.